Hi. Hello. How are all you cool cats and kittens? Well, the cat's out of the bag. This week, we are talking about Carol fucking Baskin. Sorry for the amount of F-bombs that will be dropped in this episode. So, there's your warning for any listeners who get triggered or any little ears listening. Welcome back to my podcast. I am your host, Rachel. If you are new, I am so happy you found me. Make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so you are notified every time I upload a new episode. I do have a part two planned for last week's episode missing in Arizona. I have also had quite a bit of requests to cover Chris Watts' case, and since it's here in my home state of Colorado, I will cover it, but this was kind of one of those cases I was trying to avoid. Um, Chris Watts doesn't even deserve the attention or fame to be spoken of on my show. However, I'm here to entertain you, my lovely listeners. So thank you for all of your suggestions. Keep them coming. If you are not already, go follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Pocketful of Crime. I actually just uploaded my first picture showing my family on Instagram, so be sure to go check out my little Pocketful of Crime fam bam. My two daughters are my smallest but biggest fans. They are always asking me to put on my show in the car and when the intro beat drops, they know it's pocket full of crime time. So enough rambling, let's get into it. This is the disappearance of Carol fucking Baskin's husband, Don Lewis. If there's one thing I know for sure, it's that big cats don't belong in cages. Carol Baskin's third husband. legally named Jack Donald Lewis. He was born April 30th, 1938 in Dade City, Florida, a small town with population just over 6,000 people. Don was one of three children being raised by his single mother who worked as a seamstress and sold fresh bread. The family didn't have much and this led Don to start working odd jobs at a young age. He had worked as a mechanic and even a farmhand all before he graduated from Pasco High School, class of 1955. Don was working in a grocery store when he caught a glimpse of Gladys Cross. Don was 15 and Gladys was only 12 at the time that they met. The two married two years later, only 17 and 14 years old. Of course, back in 1955, it was more common to marry young, but even then, Gladys' parents had to give consent to wed their 14-year-old daughter. A year later, when Gladys was only 15 years old, she and Don welcomed their firstborn daughter, Donna. The family grew by two more daughters, Gail and Linda, as well as an adopted son. 
Don was a self-made millionaire. He steadily grew his wealth with his first successful business, selling and scrapping metal and machine parts. He then began buying and selling distressed real estate. Despite Don Lewis being worth $5 million when he disappeared, Don didn't live like a millionaire. He was said to have been stingy, buying his clothes from yard sales. The 35-year marriage between Don and Gladys ended in 1990, after a prolonged affair Don had been having with a younger woman he met. January 1981, while Don was still married to Gladys, he came across a young, blonde girl walking down Nebraska Avenue in Tampa, Florida. Her name was Carol Murdoch at the time, also previously known by Carol Stairs or Carol Jones. This may or may not be true nor relevant to the story, but I had read that the specific Nebraska Avenue in Tampa has a high traffic of prostitution. As the popular Netflix series Tiger King story goes of the two meeting, Carol stated she was spotted by Don walking alone, crying after she had fled from her abusive husband. The rest is history. The two struck up an affair and eventually divorced their spouses at the time to remarry each other. But not so fast. I like to deliver facts. So in my fact check, I discovered a few lies in Carol's romantic story of meeting Don, sitting passenger seat in his pickup truck, holding him at gunpoint. Carol Murdoch was married to Michael Murdoch at the time. The two shared a daughter, Jamie Veronica Murdoch, born July 16, 1980, which made her six years old when her parents divorced in 1987 and just under a year old when her mother, Carol, met Don. I was able to get my hands on 13th Judicial Circuit of the State of Florida, Hillsborough County's Final Judgment of Dissolution of Marriage between the petitioner, wife, Carol Murdoch, and respondent, husband, Michael Murdoch. The final hearing before the court took place January 9th, 1987, as well as March 25th, 1987, on a petition for dissolution of marriage filed by the wife, Carol. In this document, I learned quite a bit about Carol and her history of lies. After reviewing evidence, the court found that Carol had been unfaithful to her husband and untruthful with the court in many particulars. Custody and the best interest of the child, Jamie Murdoch, was awarded to the father, Michael. In the court document's own words, the repeated adulterous conduct of the wife bars any favorable consideration of her claims for alimony, end quote. Carol was not awarded full custody, nor awarded any form of spousal support for Michael. In another court document I came across for the petition for temporary custody of the minor child, I found some inconsistencies in Carol's recollection. Carol stated to the court she met Don Lewis while venturing into her real estate career. She explained she met Don Lewis through the real estate dealings that she had done. She stated Michael had become so hard to live with and she needed somebody to confide in and feel close to. So this does not corroborate with her romantic tale she told in the Netflix series Tiger King. Carol then began working with Don, building his wealth further, buying and selling real estate. Both Don and Carol were legally divorced from their former spouses and remarried to each other by 1991. Don bought his cat-loving young bride, her first bobcat, from an auction he attended. Once the bobcat became more difficult to care for, Carol and Don sought after a playmate for the bobcat. That is how they crossed paths with a bobcat breeder from Minnesota. 
Supposedly, this breeder was selling the cats to be slaughtered for their fur. And this is when Don bought his wife all 56 kittens this breeder had in his care. The couple then purchased a 40-acre property on Easy Street in Tampa. This is when a wildlife on Easy Street was founded, which is now known as Big Cat Rescue. Don and Carol clashed over how the rescue should be operated. Don was a businessman, and he wanted to breed the cats, make a profit, and operate more as a business, while Carol thought that breeding was inhumane and wanted to operate more as a charity. Carol even claiming in the Netflix episode she would secretly take the bobcats to be spayed or neutered when Don was out of town. Carol claimed Don was obsessed with sex and frequently flew to Costa Rica to engage in affairs, especially while Carol was menstruating. For someone accused of being obsessed with sex, it strikes me as being odd that he would be repulsed by sex during her menstruation cycle. Disagreements of money and sex seem to be two key important ingredients in marital problems. Don even told family members and friends he was planning to eventually move to Costa Rica. And in 1997, he started transferring ownership of his properties in Florida to a Costa Rica company he operated. That July of 1997, Don filed a restraining order against Carol, claiming she had threatened him, even hiding his guns, to prevent him from protecting himself. The judge, however, must not have seen the incident as serious or dangerous as Don, and the request was denied. Don continued living with Carol, but voiced multiple times he wanted a divorce. She claimed she never thought he was serious. Don was almost 20 years older than Carol, and in her defense, she claimed Don's mental health began deteriorating years before he disappeared. He began hoarding vehicles and junk. Although, as I mentioned earlier, his first successful business was selling scrap metal. Carol went as far as to stating that Don was losing his short-term memory, even acting disoriented at times. Despite having any medical records or doctor diagnosis, she suspected he was developing Alzheimer's disease. Those close to Don, even a former attorney and business associate, dispute those claims. Carol was accused of spreading false stories to develop an alternate theory for his disappearance. Days leading up to Don's vanishment, he did buy a plane ticket to Costa Rica. There is no record of him, however, boarding any flight or flying to Costa Rica on his own private plane. August 18, 1997 was the last time Don was seen alive, just a month after filing for a restraining order against his own wife. Carol claims she last seen Don leaving their Tampa home to make an early morning delivery around 6 a.m. I am not aware of what exactly he was supposedly delivering to who or where. There were two cats of Don's, two ocelots, that had recently been shipped out of the sanctuary, but the whereabouts have never been able to be tracked down. On August 20th, Don's 1989 white Dodge Ram van was located at Pilot Country Airport in Spring Hill, Florida, just 40 miles from his home. Don did own several small private planes, and he was known to fly them regardless of his private pilot license that had been suspended. There is no proof that Don ever left the country. Inside the white van, the keys were found on the floorboards as well as his briefcase, but no other evidence was recovered. What kind of businessman travels anywhere without his briefcase? Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office found no sign of foul play at the sanctuary nor the town of Bagasis in Costa Rica, where Don owned a 200-acre park. 
Authorities spent five days in Costa Rica investigating. All they recovered was proof Don was involved in extramarital affairs, as well as some illegal business practices. None of Don's credit cards have been used since his disappearance. It doesn't seem likely a self-made millionaire who wanted to divorce his wife and move to Costa Rica to live a new life or maybe under a new name would leave his fortune behind. He left behind $5 million in holdings. This only further led to a dispute between Carol and Don's children. In Florida, a person must be missing for five years to be legally declared dead by a judge. It was August 19, 2002, five years and one day after Don was last seen, that he was legally declared dead. This then left Carol with Don's assets and fortune. However, in 2006, Detective Chris Fox contacted Susan Aronoff, who was a former staff member at the Wildlife Sanctuary. Susan was one of two names that appeared on Don's will and power of attorney as a witness to his signature. Susan admit she never witnessed Don sign this document, which was drawn up by Carol herself and only surfaced after Don vanished. The statute of limitation was the only thing in the way of prosecuting Susan and Carol of forgery and perjury. In 2004, Carol was offered a polygraph test, which she refused to take as per advice from her attorney. All of Don's children volunteered to take polygraph tests. In 2005, the investigation took a turn. Authorities no longer leaned towards the theory Don disappeared on his own will. The Hillsborough Sheriff's Office stated since the Netflix show has been released, they are consistently getting average six tips a day. As of 2020, the case is still open and actively searching for tips and leads. As for Don's children and first wife, they have the theory Don was fed to the tigers at the sanctuary. In fact, they were disappointed in the investigation work when no DNA test was processed of the meat grinder located on the property. Supposedly, the meat grinder had been moved off the property weeks before he disappeared, as well as Carol stated she didn't own a big meat grinder as shown in the Netflix show. In fact, they only had a small kitchen-grade grinder, which would not have been big enough to grind up a human body, let alone bone. I would like to ask, though, who has proof that the meat grinder was only kitchen-grade and was moved off the property prior to his disappearance. Are we supposed to take Carol's word for it? Maybe you don't need a meat grinder to feed a human body to tigers. Carol offered up a strange statement in the series, saying you would have to cover someone in something the tigers want to eat, such as sardine oil, to get a tiger to eat a human. Very specific, Carol. Very specific. I think there are bits and pieces of truth in every lie a murderer tells. In Carol's words, quote, Can you imagine people thinking you killed your husband or wife and not being able to prove otherwise? Without a body, there is nothing I can do to clear my name. End quote. So how about the theory Joe Exotic had about hiding the remains in a septic tank located on the property? Because in Carol's own words, there would still be bones left after a tiger devoured the human flesh. So it could be possible that the remains of his body were disposed in a septic tank. Well, I have read that the septic tank was installed on the property years after Don disappeared. However, I have questions about that. If the septic tank system was installed years later, then what did the property use for a sewer system prior? Is there a chance the septic tank installed years later was a new system? 
I work in real estate and I know there is record of everything like septic tank system, locations, age, inspections, and more kept the local county department of health and regulation department. I tried to find the county health department and conduct my own search of records. However, I was unsuccessful at this time, at least. If this is a new tank, there would be record of any new construction permit application, any repair permit, and any record of a septic abandonment application, as well as its exact location. Now back to Carol's theories. She accused Anne McQueen, who was a longtime business associate of Don's, of stealing money and putting property under her name, as well as taking out a life insurance policy just months before Don disappeared. Well, this was true, just not the way Carol described it. Anne McQueen stated yes, she did transfer properties into her name, as instructed by Dawn, and even took out a life insurance policy, as instructed by Dawn, which would name Anne as one of the beneficiaries. Dawn voiced his opinion on multiple occasions to Anne how dangerous and vindictive Carol was. His actions, in my opinion, prove he was in motion to leaving her divorcing her, and starting over in Costa Rica. Sounds like motive to me. Carol wanted Dawn's money. She wanted to expand the sanctuary, but there were two things in her way. Dawn, who was against the charity, and without Dawn, she didn't have his money or means to expand. Dawn was planning to leave her and leave her with nothing. Without Dawn, she didn't have a pot to piss in. So how does one get rid of the husband standing in her way, but keep his money? Well, Carol has demonstrated how. Life on Easy Street may just have more skeletons in its closets than lions, tigers, and bears. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am looking forward to any development in this case. I hope this strange lady is served with some steaming justice. Actually, justice is best served cold. Don't forget to give this episode a share if you enjoyed. Follow me on social media for more content and give me a rating and a review. They really help my channel grow. Join me next Wednesday for my newest episode. Until then, stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. Hi, mom. Carol fucking basket.